Well, good morning again, church. Uh, last week, Pastor Ben opened our sermon series for the summer, uh, entitling it, Every Story, His Name. We plagiarized completely off of the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't have it, go buy it, read it to your kids, read it to yourself. Every Story Whispers His Name is completely uh, the, the message of the scriptures. It's all about him, from beginning to end, whispering the name of Christ, about God's plan to redeem the world through him. Our focus has been on some lesser-known characters in Scripture, and that's going to be taking us throughout the duration of some of the summer, uh, just seeing the way that God shows up in the midst of different stories. Uh, and today we're going to look at a story that involves a few different people. If, if I had to compare it to a restaurant, which oftentimes doesn't happen in church, but if I had to compare this Bible story to a restaurant, it would be the Chinese buffet of all buffets, because it has a little bit of everything. Uh, it has the disciples. There are Pharisees and scribes. There are demons, the voice of God. There's a mountain. There's children. And yes, even Jesus makes a guest appearance in this story today. So I want you to turn to Mark chapter 9. That's where we're going to be uh, reading from. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, find one because that's where we're going to be reading from. So get a Bible. There's one right in front of you in the pew, probably. Um, if you have a phone, you can also find Mark chapter 9 there. No excuses for not looking the text dead on. Mark is one of the gospels. It's, uh, it's called a gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And the good news is that uh, this is the story of Christ at work in uh, the world and among his followers. And so there are three words here that I would say that are, are all about the gospel because it involves the words of Christ that in, invite you to turn from your sin and trust him. It involves the works of Christ displaying his love for the world and for us. And it involves his heart, which is full of grace in the face of broken, messed up sinners like me and you. Let's pray together this morning. Oh God, our, our rock, our shelter, we find our strength in you. Lord, when we are weak, you are strong. We know that your spirit takes the, the word of God and, and makes it come alive in us. And this morning, we want to gaze upon your majesty, your goodness, your sovereignty over all creation. And Lord, if it be your will, we, we want this time to be more than just information given out from the scriptures. We want our hearts to be changed. You do this. It's, it's your plan. It's your desire. It's your way. Lord, I even pray that you'd remove distractions from us. It's, it's so easy for us to think of what's coming or, or maybe some things that are, are plaguing us in our, in our past. Uh, the distraction from hearing your word this morning. Oh, oh, might you just cut through all of that and allow us to hear, allow us to savor the goodness of Christ. We're here in the now desiring your word to mean something in our lives today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Here's what it says. When they, Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. 
As soon as all the people saw this, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And you thought you had it rough as a parent. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. A little background as to where this story fits into the gospel account of Jesus and his life on earth. Right around uh, this uh, time, Jesus was 30 years old. We know in the very beginning, uh, John the Baptist was preparing the way and he was baptizing people in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus would come and he would get baptized And then there would be the early ministry in Galilee that Jesus had. He was healing people. He would call his first few disciples, I'm going to make you fishers of men. More preaching, a lot more healing. And then later on, around the age of 31, he would move into uh, choosing the 12 disciples, teaching through parables and lots of different things. He would calm the raging storms and heal demoniacs. Outside of Galilee, around the age of 32, Jesus would feed the 5,000 and and many more, and then he would feed the 4,000, and he would walk on water, and healing a lot of physical deformities all happened throughout that time period. And then we begin this journey to Jerusalem. He's making his way to the holy city. Eventually, he would meet his death and resurrection. But as he's making his way, he foretells his death the first time. Right after that, they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, John, and Jesus. They're up on top of the mountain, and as they come back down, they meet the chaos in which we find ourselves today, the unclean spirit inside this boy. More teaching, and he would predict his death a second and a third time. Then we know the Passion Week. We studied that just a few months ago, making his way into the holy city, the Last Supper, Garden of Gethsemane crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension. I want to think through where this fits because this story it comes at a time when the disciples really understood the power of Jesus. They knew who he was, they'd witnessed all these miracles, and then they'd been sent out to do this work. 
And so I want to just take three points out of the text this morning that we're going to find here that Jesus addresses directly to them. And the first one is this. You have three blanks. Actually, you just have three numbers on your paper. So sorry for not giving you a lot of notes. The first one you can write in here, you will never outgrow your need for Jesus. You will never outgrow your need for Jesus. You see up on top of the mountain, there's Peter, James, and John, and uh, they're meeting with the very physical presence of God and Jesus is transfigured before them. His, his garments are glowing with white. The radiance of God was there. And, and actually, Elijah and Moses, who'd long since died, uh, have come back and, and they're talking with Jesus. Peter is just, his mind is exploding. He's beside himself. They're on this mountain overlooking all of the cities around. It's very tall, about 9,000 feet. And then he's there and there's all these dead people that are coming back to life and they're, they're just seeing the glowing glory of God. So Peter shouts out, he's like, this is so good, the Lord, this is so good. Can we just hang out here forever? Well, in fact, let's build three houses. We can all live in them and we'll just stay up here on the mountain forever. Kind of missing the point. But in that moment, all of a sudden, this cloud of the presence of God just envelops them. And they're standing there. Like, just imagine, you ever on top of a mountain before and this cloud just kind of rolls in? You can't even see your hand in front of your face. Well, imagine this is happening here. And in the midst of the cloud, here's what happens. God calls out and he whispers, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. Man, if you weren't following the Lord at that point, bam, you were in because the cloud came, surrounded you, and started talking to you. That is craziness. Well, the, the hike back down the mountain had to be one of the most storied moments in their lives. Like, we just saw the voice of God and heard all these things. We're walking down, probably skipping that 9,000 feet like it was nothing. So filled, so full of the presence of God. And as they arrive at the bottom... What do they come upon but commotion, chaos, and evil? The world and its problems colliding with the radiance of God smashed right together in the scriptures. So good and so bad. It's something I think we can all relate to, these moments where we just want to stay on top of this mountain experience. Oh, we're just savoring the presence of God in our, in our time with the Lord. Maybe it's reading in your scriptures in the morning. And then you close your Bible, your amen, and you're walking out, and immediately you are just faced with the distractions and the temptations and the stuff of this world. Had to be a moment for Peter, James, and John as well. In their ministry, they're coming down and they're watching the other disciples as they gathered there that had failed to cast out this demon from the boy who had apparently been possessing him for a long time. And so because they failed to cast out this demon, the people that sent these disciples to do these things was, uh, was called into question. So Jesus was kind of on the trial here. Uh, you, you're, these followers, they can't even do that, the Pharisees and scribes are saying. And they're arguing and they're fighting and they're looking at Jesus like, what is he doing? And then he shows up and they're all amazed. I think the, the crazy thing is, we understand this moment of the disciples, I think, a lot. You see, what had happened is they had slipped into this maybe moment of self-reliance or, or maybe this repetitive thing that they just felt like they knew how to do, but they 
couldn't. You know what I'm talking about, right? You're capable of certain things, and at the very beginning when you started doing that, you were a little nervous at first, but now that you've done it so many times, it's just like second nature. Maybe it's something that you were afraid of and you walked into with God's help and much uh, fear and and trust in the beginning, and now it's subtle, but your shift, just like the disciples, has shifted from God himself to my abilities, my gifting. Maybe it's in uh, uh, parenting, right? You, you, you know how to change diapers. You know how to keep them alive. We're good. We're just moving kids along. I just can do this thing now. We've got two kids. Now we're on three, four kids. I got this. You with four kids, you all are crazy. Uh, maybe it's a job. Yeah, just a, a job that makes sense to you. You've done it before. You know how to email and send things off to the right people. You are just working this thing, and you are so skilled in what you can do. It just feels like second nature. I was thinking about teachers. Man, how many of you are teachers in here, right? Like, as September rolls around, you get a whole new class of students. But 15, 20 years into this whole teaching gig, you've done September beginning of the year stuff before. You know where you're going. You've got the curriculum, the same old stuff every year. It's easy. You just keep doing what you've been doing for so long. Or or for me, as a pastor, it could become so easy to just say, oh, well, I know how to stand up front and deliver these things and talk through this. And it can be easy to slip into self-reliance so quickly and believe that the strength is in my memorized actions over and over again. It's exactly what they were facing here in the scriptures. They came to the end of themselves. They were unable to drive out this demon. And the Pharisees and scribes were there calling them out and calling into question the very God who sent them. You will never outgrow your need of Jesus. You see, they were attempting to do what only the power of Christ in them could do. Christ's dependence becomes self-dependence. It's a, it's a formula for disaster. So Jesus asks the crowd, so what are you arguing about? What's going on here? And the dad cries out, not even uh, well, the one he was really talking to, but the dad just kind of comes through and he's like, you know what? Lord, I got to talk to you. I'm the reason why everybody's here. In the book of Matthew, uh, we see that the account, he's calling Jesus Lord. He already knows him as Savior, the one, the Lord. He says, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of his speech. In verse 18, whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive the spirit out, but they could not I think at this moment, there's this reality that's happening in the disciples' life. If they haven't grasped the the weight and the the difficulty of this spiritual battle happening all around them, maybe they did at this point, because they just weren't able to do what they've always done. It's not a pretender or a mythical thing. Actually, Paul writes about this in a lot of different places, but in 1 Peter 5, 8, here's a verse to memorize and post up on your wall. Watch out. Stay alert for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And now I'm going to go happy skipping into my day. That is terrible news. Your enemy, the the devil, is, is prowling around looking for someone to devour. We must stay alert. He would later say on in, in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There is a battle whether we admit it or not. Eugene Peterson writes it this way. There is a spiritual war in progress, an all-out moral battle. There is evil and cruelty, unhappiness and illness. There's superstition and ignorance, brutality and pain. God is in continuous and energetic battle against all of it. God is for life and against death. God is for love and against hate. God is for hope and against despair. God is for heaven and against hell. There's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square foot of space is contested. In the midst of this spiritual battle, Jesus rebukes his followers and he says, you, you disciples, you faithless generation, how long must I stay with you? Don't you get it? The, the power to do any of these things comes from me. Mark captures the, the pressure and the frustration of being Christ at this time, right? He's up on the mountaintop. He had just predicted his death, and he's, he's staring Jerusalem in the face, and, and we know what's coming, his death and resurrection. That's not going to be easy, but the presence of God is there. Peter misses it so much that he's like, let's just live here forever. Let's just forget the whole death and resurrection thing. We just stay here. And the pressure and stress of being Christ is, Peter, you missed it. There's more at stake. And then he comes down the mountain and he, he faces them and he's confronted with the disciples' unbelief and trust in themselves. They needed him. We need him, then, now, and forever. And I think this is really true for the Christian life, but I think it's also equally as true for those that don't have Christ as their personal savior. And you might be asking yourself, well, how is that the case? Well, the person that doesn't have Christ as their savior is still just as in need of Christ as the ones who proclaim him as Lord. Why is that the case? Well, because there is a righteous God that must pour out his wrath on brokenness and sin in this world. And it's either going on you or on Christ. Who will you trust in? Your need is always going to be in Christ. We will never outgrow our need for him. Romans 14 says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So where in your life, maybe lately, have you slowly drifted away from dependence on Jesus and moved into this self-sufficient, go-through-the-motions type of faith? Or what's holding you back from really depending on Jesus? Is it maybe the things that you feel like he's telling you you have to get in order before you come to him? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from him as your rescuer? Or where in your life has the enemy blinded you to the nature of this spiritual battle. You'll never outgrow your need for Christ. The, the second point here is that faith is not a moment, it's a way of life. Faith is not a moment, it's a way of life. Uh, we know that salvation takes place when we turn from our brokenness and our sin. We lay at the feet of Jesus in repentance and say, God, we wanna just give this all to you all of our brokenness, we turn and we put our belief and our, our faith in him that his death, his resurrection has paid my eternal due consequences. And then we live a life of continual faith and trust in Jesus. It's, it's, 
ongoing. There's a moment where we turn from our way and put our faith in him. But faith and believing doesn't end there. Uh, I had this uh, youth group mom come up to me a number of years ago, and um, not many of you will ever understand what it's like to be like a younger man and uh, this mom of, that I was leading her kids. She came up to me and she was like, hey, I want to talk to you. It's really threatening. So if you're a youth group mom, I get your power like over me. It's a little scary sometimes. Um, they're your babies, I know. But she said, what are you teaching my kids? Um, I, this mom is all of like 100 pounds, very small woman, like she, but she had the daggers were coming at me. Um, what are you teaching my kids? And I was like, uh, about the Lord, I don't know, what should I say right now? Um, and she said, well, I got to tell you what, you better not be teaching them that it's about a moment of turning their lives to Jesus and then just forget about it. It's not just a decision. I'm teaching them that it's a marathon. So if you're talking sprint with my kids, it's not going to happen for us here at this church for long. And I was like, woof, wow. She still attends here down at the campus. Not going to call her out, but I still love her. She is wonderful. I love her kids. Um, but I felt a little bit threatened, but also encouraged because if, if I ever get to a place or if you ever get to the place where you are telling people that you just put your trust in Jesus, turn from your ways, you're good to go, people are going to be really discouraged in like three or four days when it requires faith to walk this life in Christ. The moment is going to give way to many more moments where you will have to exercise belief and faith, this ongoing journey. And the father is crying out on his son's behalf here saying, Lord, you got to help me here. He's been battling this for years. And Jesus says, bring the boy to me. And they, they brought him in. And when Jesus saw the boy, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You know, throughout the scriptures, Jesus kind of uh, talks about people's faith. There's Oh, you have little faith, and then there's people that have wonderful, great faith, and they're praised for that. Uh, but this moment here is where he kind of calls into question or clarifies what's going on here. If you can, Jesus, and it's almost like you can hear the expression of Jesus here like, if I can, if I'm able to, have you not seen what I do? Uh, if this were like sent through a text message, you know there would be some like really sassy gif coming afterward like, if I can, really? Some emojis, maybe. There's a lot of emotional weight in this moment. Of course I can. The man cries out with little faith, if you can, Lord. He's having faith in the right direction, but it's weak. It's imperfect which invites us into believing even imperfectly. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. One of the greatest prayers in all of scripture. I believe, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus in his tender love and mercy reaches down, heals the child and brings him back to life. Everything is possible for those who believe. Oh, Lord, 
help my unbelief. We get this, right? I believe in Jesus. I, I believe his sacrifice in, the, in my place. But wait, 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 you want me to go and talk to this person about coming to know Christ? No, no, Lord, you don't get it. This person is the complete opposite of those who are ready for that kind of conversation. Maybe in a few years we'll get there. I, I believe you, Lord, but help me overcome my unbelief here. I just, I'm not seeing it. When faced with sickness and injury or death, I believe in you, Jesus. It's just kind of, I, I don't know what you're doing here or what you're allowing in my life. In my mind, this makes no sense. This is the wrong time for this. We were going in such a great direction. I believe you, but Lord, please help in my unbelief. And I just, I just found some text messages between my wife and some other guy, and now my whole marriage is a wreck. Look, Lord, I don't know what's going on here. I believe in you. This is just too much for me to handle. Help me overcome my unbelief. Your kid is being bullied at school. How can this be part of what God is doing? How can this senseless, needless, confusing moment, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. You see, the Christ life is moment by moment faith. It's continual. We believe, but help me, Jesus, in the places that I'm doubting and that my faith is, is weak. Maybe it shows up for you when it's in prayer. Uh, I find myself here a lot where I'm praying and I'm, I'm presenting my request to the Lord and I'll get to a place where I'm like, mm, I kind of go around it a little bit like this. Uh, Lord, I'm gonna just pray that you would well, the doctor already said, no, no, no. help them, Lord. And I can't pray for them to be healed or cured or delivered because the data already came in. They have that disease or they, they have that sickness or they said he'll never do this. And so what do you do in prayer? You kind of work your way into praying safe prayers, maybe in such a way that allows for your rational mind and God to play in that small box. I used to think... I could box God and he could just do all these things, but no, he is abundantly able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Maybe you pray for these like lesser outcomes. It's just safer or easier. And that's where your unbelief kind of manifests. What if we were called right now, right here in this room to pray in a bold way that says, God, I know you can. If your will be done, I know you can do this. You have the power. There's, a, there's an old hymn by D.W. Whittle, and it says this. Never a trial that he is not there. Never a burden that he does not bear. Never a sorrow that he does not share. Moment by moment, I'm under his care. Moment by moment, I'm kept in his love. Moment by moment, I've life from above. Looking to Jesus till glory does shine. Moment by moment, oh Lord, I am thine. We'll never outgrow our need for the risen Savior Christ. And faith is not a moment, but it's a lifelong journey strung together of many faith moments over and over and over. The third thing you find in the text here that we're encouraged and, and even instructed to have uh, that he was teaching his disciples is to pray without ceasing. Don't give up in your prayer, depending on yourself. Come to the Father. 
verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out through prayer. You see, they, they had seen his power displayed over the demonic realm. Everyone was amazed. And then they kind of pull away and they're in this room quietly with Jesus. Hey, Lord, how come we couldn't do that this time? What was going on there? Like, was this something different? What happened? And I wonder if there's moments where like one or two of the disciples got it as they even let the words come out of their mouth. Wow, why couldn't we He'd do this? Shoot, you're the one in charge. I forgot. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that happened for them as they were sitting there thinking, why couldn't we drive them out? We've done it before. Where's the glory? Where's the focus? It's on them. It was working just fine. And then, and if you and I are not careful, we end up in the very same place these disciples did. Eh, we got to pray about this. We're just going to go do it. We got this, right? Just heal things. We can do things. And we're, we're good. And we don't need the Lord. Maybe this self-dependence that hit them like a, a brick wall when they just failed got them to listen up a little bit. Hey, hey guys, my, my disciples, I want you to listen carefully. I didn't just send you out to make sick people better. It's not about just making people better. I sent you out to proclaim my name with each deliverance, that it would be in his name, not yours. Ephesians 6 reminds them of this battle, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The spiritual realm, guys, as you're going and doing this thing, you don't stand a chance. You are not strong enough to fight this. You can't work this thing to get these demons out. This is only through reliance on me. This is through prayer. Your heavenly father wants to give you the strength. You can't do it. And when you realize your inability, there's this perfect moment where God says, when you are weak, I am strong. When was the last time you failed? Maybe your normal life was just interrupted in some way that caused you to maybe question something. Maybe a time lately when your, even your best human efforts didn't cut it. You weren't able to make it through by doing it your own way. You found your self-dependence left you coming up short. What was that like? What kind of questions do you ask? You ask in the why question, well, what, or what happened this time that didn't work out? Well, do I have to like try it a different way or could I go about it another way to, to make this outcome happen? Can I push this thing through? I think there are a number of us in the room that maybe are in this faith crisis right now. We have the option to trust and rely on him or we have the option to, to push this thing through and, and really try to make it on our own. And some of the things that I have been watching and praying through in our church, man, there's just some sickness that I feel like uh, we just, every moment, there's something else that's just plaguing a person in our church. The sickness. The unplanned events, the stuff of life, tragic circumstances. Not only the physical stuff, but also the emotional weight that we thought we could handle, uh, we carried for so long, and now all of a sudden, why now, Lord? Why is this weighing on me so heavily now? I was able to before. Maybe it's grief that you had neatly packaged up and you were able to keep it over here, and all of a sudden the box is being opened to your grief. And facing that, you aren't able 
to do that anymore. You find this self-sufficiency also in, in marriage and maybe the, the relationship that you thought you could just manage and flowers and chocolate go a long way, but uh, they're not cutting it anymore. Why is this brokenness happening in our relationship? Is there trust and reliance on him or in your own self-effort? Students, young adults, maybe you're making your way in this life and you've, you've been under the safe care of your parents for a number of years and you've made decisions because they've told you to follow in this way and now you're able to make them on your own out of the safety net. And as you do, the question is, are you gonna trust in your own ability to make this life work or are you gonna say, faith in the one who gives me strength it could be this me-centered life. It could be this all about me and everything about what I want. Or we could have this life centered on God and what he is working. It could be me and the pride of, of who I am and what I'm able to do making this work and, and leading and doing all these things. Or it could say, in humility, I, I know I am not able to, Lord. I just want to give this to you if you, if you would lead me in this way. Maybe the circumstances are so difficult, you're just trying to control and manage, and if I just do a little bit over here and make sure that's good over here, and I, I take care of this and put that one out over here, I'm able to manage and control all these things. But there comes a point where self-sufficiency says, I've failed. I can't do it. And that's where we have the beautiful good news of Christ Listen to how Paul Tripp frames this whole idea. It is not your weakness that will get in the way of God's working through you. It's not your weakness that gets in the way of God working through you, but your delusions of strength. <laughs> Our delusions of strength get in the way. We oftentimes think that we are so capable and so strong and so able that we forget there's someone that gives us spiritual power that has conquered the death that we ultimately face. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And this is difficult because I think our culture really values strong people, Right? It just kind of rises them to the top and, and even honors them with money, a, a really high-paying job, or positions that get them to places of influence. Maybe it's even a special relationship that comes because of the strength of who you are and your leadership capabilities. I mean, even in churches, we're not exempt from this, right? We, we elevate people and all these different things, and they're strong and all that. But what happens when the strong capable leaders face their own brokenness and their own insufficiency. It's cracked. It's all, it's all a facade. And, and what God's saying is, I want you to be cracked open that my strength might be made more rich and full in the midst of your weakness. Disciples, as you're healing, I'm not looking for you to make a name for yourselves. I want you to make my name great. Man, as, as you're walking through and you're, you're going through this thing and you find yourself up against a wall, it's because, hey, bring it back. Who's the one in control? And what if we were able to let him in and undo some of our strength? 
that we'd be a whole church of weak people that say, man, we have a strong God and we want to tell you about him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, the, the gift of brokenness and failure and weakness is that we can come to you who says, my grace is sufficient. Oh, in your weakness will you be strong. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you don't ask us to, to measure up and to be good enough and to perfect all of these things in order that we could uh, influence and change and, and make the world just into this wonderful place. I, th- I think that's the, the heartbeat of some of the disciples here. They were starting to feel how good they were at casting out demons and healing people, and they forgot all about the God who says, you'll never not need me. Faith will always be part of your journey from the beginning to the end. Don't be pulled away from that. And the God who says, just humbly come before me in prayer. Lord, we just want to even take this moment right here and just confess our delusions of strength to you. Lord, forgive us for running ahead in our own strength, maybe in a, in a time, in a place, in a way we've done so many times that we've forgotten to, to stop and, and rely on you. Oh God, change our hearts and, and bring us back to knowing your power made perfect in our weakness. We thank you for this story and that ultimately, God, you are the hero in the midst of it. You're our king, you're our Lord. Amen. Now go into this week as people boasting in the grace and goodness of God in the midst of your weakness and failure. Have a good week.